0: But the part that stands out to me in that quote is it's well-meaning people. So, you know, I was raised in a system that was, in my part, you know, my language, carceral.
1: Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Aldo B. Martin. The organization that I was a part of preached exclusivity, right? We believe that we were the only Christians on earth. And to put it in perspective, our church was formed in 1979. And we proclaim to be the only true Christians in existence since the first century century. Disciples found in the Bible. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So in essence, we revived Christianity from a 2,000-year hibernation. That's what we thought. And we believe that anyone outside of the ICOC who identified as a Christian was indeed an imposter, and they needed to be rescued by us. And therefore, the only interaction with outsiders was to be done under the pretense of attempting to convert such a person to our way of doing things. On the other hand, we've had many people that have left the church. It is estimated that about over, actually, over 300,000 people have left the organization in the past 40 or so years, including myself. Mm -hmm. And when you leave, you feel as if you're the only person that has experienced such a thing. But then one day, one day you realize there are others. Mm -hmm. You realize that there were people outside of the ICOC that have had the same religious experience as you did. Mm -hmm. And it is mind boggling. All right. So today we meet Robin Mitchell Stroud, Ph.D. Robin describes herself as religiously eclectic and spiritually fluid. Aside from her academic work on the subject of Christianity, she is a host of the Incarcerated Christian podcast, along with her co-host, Deborah Martinelli. I think that the name of this episode will be, wait, there are others, <laughs> but anyhow, so Robin, thank you for joining us. And I am more than pleased to have you on the program. Welcome.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is going to be, this is going to be great. And you are so right. It is, it is, uh, it's a kind of a universal experience of people who have left. It is. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you have a question. Can I just jump in on one thought <laughs> already? Already jumping in. Yeah, that is the incarcerated Christian, that concept. It's a concept, right? But it's a concept that transcends any one branch of Christianity or even Christianity. It transcends what any one particular religion.
1: Now, with that being said, with that being said, here's my first question for you. You use the quote from the French playwright Jacques Duval. Did I say the name right? I think I said it right. You use, use this quote to open up your dissertation, and the quote is as follows. It says, God loved birds and created trees. Man loved birds and invented cages.
0: Cages, right? yeah. And yeah. the subject
1: of your dissertation is uh, carceral Christianization as a religious problem of generations.
0: Yes, very and, good.
1: And you also have a podcast titled, like we mentioned before, The Incarcerated Christian, why is this topic and eventual work important to you?
0: Well, we have a, or had, well, had, I have, it's been a while since I've worked on my PhD, but with, there's a saying, research as me search. So my doctoral work was my attempt to understand the experiences kind of that raised me and the impacts of those experiences, which are pretty traumatic. So. That's why I looked at the kind of the dark side to Christianity or Christian experiencing. Now, how I came across the carceral concept was I think by accident, but I also think kind of divinely led. I was taking a class on contemporary critical literature and we studied Michel Foucault's discipline and punish the birth of the prison. And um, we had to do weekly papers. And instead of just thinking and reflecting on the topic, as it was strictly written, I tried to write every paper through the lens of carcerality and religion. And it was amazing. But by the time I got to the end of that class, I had already sketched out what would become, you know, my thoughts around carceral Christianity. Because there are so many, um, there are just, uh, what is it, there are so many parallels between carcerality as we think about it and as Michelle Foucault is writing about it and my experience growing up as a baptist in oklahoma southern baptist and i'm pretty sure we also attended independent fundamentalist baptist churches because um there's a lot of overlap there
1: what age was this for you
0: oh i was i'm i'm a cradle baptist i was born and raised in a no, family i'm talking oh, about when you me?
1: were when you were doing the uh, the the paper when you were when you were oh studying the, the, the dissertation
0: subject. work Okay, that probably started in the mid 90s, wait, I think in 1990s, mid1990s. Um, and you know, I it's it's I had a ma- a bachelor's and a master's, stepped away from education for about a decade, then was like, you know, I really want to get back to this. I just didn't know exactly where I was heading with it. I just knew I wanted to look at religion and gender and then picked a program that allowed me to pull in religious studies, women's and gender studies and philosophy. Um so that was pretty amazing but in that journey to understand um what, you know, kind of what happened to me, that whole what happened to you? Well, here's what happened to me. Uh just incredibly healing because half the battle is, you know, awareness and understanding. So and that's when I realized that this notion of carcerality is it's universal it's not it's not just about growing up in the in the church of christ like you did or the international church of christ excuse me and or me as a baptist it really transcends that because the discipline that grounds that kind of experience the teachings and the practices and the teachers it's it's kind of a universal experience so yes yeah I-
1: so, so I, I think today I'm I'm all about quotes. I'm all about quotes. And, all right. And you cited another book in your writing. Uh huh. Um, you cited a, uh, a a book titled "Serpents in the Manger." Oh by... my gosh! <laughs> Whoa, my bad. Whoa, here we go. Touch the nerve. Oh, and you... so, "Serpents in the Manger" is by there. It is. She's showing me. Yeah. That now that's a cover.
0: Powerful, right? Powerful. I found this in a half price bookstore. I couldn't now, believe it.
1: Now that is a t- you know, yeah. maybe we should, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. The audience is going to be mad at me, but I get to look at this. Maybe you guys can Google it, but Serpents in the Major by, uh, let me see what I've written down Jerry
0: here. Jerry and Melody Milam.
1: Mm-hmm. And in this book, they mm. write, and here's the quote from the book, they write that there's a dark, dark side to Christianity where well-meaning people condemn, manipulate, or hurt others because of the destructive nature of... ...of their Christian beliefs. Mm -hmm. It goes on to say, "...parents abuse their children, churches abuse their followers, families withdraw love and support, and individuals are left depressed, angry, fearful, anxious, withdrawn, upset, and are perfectionists, and are dysfunctional in a myriad of practices commonly found in Christianity." Yes. That's a whole lot. And this book was written in 1994... Do you? Th- How true is that statement today?
0: Oh, I think it absolutely still holds. Um, unfortunately, I think it still holds. And one of the keys there for me when I taught, when I tell people that I sort of look at and study the dark side, it's it's not it's not in a gotcha way. It's it's to try to shine a healing light on it, not not a gotcha light. But the part that stands out to me in that quote is it's well-meaning people. So, you know, I was raised in a system that was in my parl, you know, my language carceral, but I, but my parents didn't, you know, set out to ha- have it be that kind of experience. They think it's liberative, right? They think that it's saving my soul. And then that's our job is to save other people's souls. And uh, they, but the, they, think, it,
1: they think they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah. They think they're doing the right thing. But, uh, but I suffered, I suffered. How did you I suffer? Suffered. How did you suffer? um I suffered well, there are lots of kind of impacts. I suffered uh, well as a woman in the church I was uh, always to be under the thumb of a man and I had problems with that because I looked around and some of the men that i that I was under the authority of I didn't think were really great men. And, but just to tell me that, 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 that God has ordained that for my life. And then to put me under the authority of people that I think are, you know, um, not that moral. Uh, and so anyway, just being a woman in the church caused me to suffer just because I was a woman and, and then the, and then the, the pathways for my life that are outlined from that are not I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the kind. This is where I always thought I was never a good enough Christian woman, because what is ordained to be a good and a good Christian woman are things that I had problems with. I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to tend to the men and the children and the you know like all of the things. I in my when I was growing up, it was there was also I also had to be hyper feminine. I had to you know be and pinks and long hair. I couldn't have my hair <laughs> cut above my shoulders. For example, I couldn't wear earrings. I mean, my, my dress was very prescribed. There were dress codes and there were behavior codes and there's just a lot of rules, a lot of rules. And so psychologically, I never knew when I was going to trip up on one of the rules. It's, it's awful. And I tried really hard to be perfect and it it and i think i was a pretty darn good kid but i never felt like i was good enough so it's psychologically traumatizing and harmful and and then you learn uh, um you learn absolute authority, uh, absolute obedience and compliance to authority and um and part of one of part of my story is that i'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and and like, who do you tell? You know, it's, it's, so that was another kind of piece that complicated my story, but even taking that piece out, um, it's, it still was rough. I mean, I always, was always in my head. I never felt like I was good enough. Um, and then, you know, that I, I was, I remember listening to one of your episodes where you all were talking about the pressures around witnessing and proselytizing and winning souls. Oh, ugh, oh man! Ugh.
1: I, you know, I, I, I hate that. It's funny you should mention that. That's one of the uh, that's one of the questions I have for you later on. Um, it's really funny you should mention that. I mean, I wish the audience could see your facial expression when you said that. <laughs> like, there's a there's a disdain for that.
0: Disdain, yes.
1: So, in your work, uh, going nice. back to your dissertation, uh, you interviewed people for the project, yeah, and you and you noticed that people used a lot of feeling words. Yes. Regarding their experience. Can you speak to that?
0: Oh, yes, I can speak to that. The words. So it's interesting because when I when I first when I interviewed people, I really wanted to hear their kind of their whole process from um, being in in a religion that, you know, is harmful to them and then how they moved beyond that to something else. And I could tell that people were at various stages of their spiritual transformation and healing journey. There are people who had just left and hadn't, you know, they were very early on deconstructing and the words that they used. In fact, I'm going to tell you words that they used because I think it's important. They used words like sadness and depressed and miserable and guilty and shamed and worried and anxious, tired, scared, fearful, like go on and on but then when they started talking about their transformation story they would use words like um disillusion they're kind of like sort of waking up right so they would use words like disillusioned um embarrassed grief leftover fear um bitterness anger cuz you know it's like the state you go through the stages of grief but also as you're coming out on the other side of that like positive and and um happy and joy and wellness and Um, Just the words are powerful because if our feelings exist to inform us, right? Debbie Ford said, our feelings exist to inform us. When you are using words like resentment, hate, isolated, lonely, you know, dissatisfied, numb, helpless, which are all of the words that describe being in the prison, the religious prison, and then you use words like lucky, positive, happy, playful, you know, amazing joy. That's a whole different qualitative way of being in the world. So what does that, the, what does
1: that, what does that mean? What does that mean?
0: Well, so for example, uh, myself now, and, and sometimes I forget how, oh, how um, hard my, I'm going to call it my religious prison, how, how hard it was growing up there. Cause I forget I've done so much healing work in my um, adult life. That I have lived with such inner peace and I have self-love now and self-compassion. And like, it's a whole other way of being in the world versus walking around scared and anxious all the time and judging like, well, of course we judge others, right? (laughs) When When we're raised in a carceral religious environment, oh, the judging others is part of that. But we also very harshly judge ourselves, Um, so yeah, just being out of that space and moving into a space of, of curiosity and compassion and love, it's a very different way of showing up in the world.
1: You you, you know, as, as you're saying this, um, and there's so many people that I've spoken with so far, uh, regarding this, this church that I was a part of and the people that have left the feelings that you're describing the exact same.
0: Mm-hmm. right and and the universal
1: it's it's universal and and i want to underline again why we wanted you on the program was to describe that for us because you you and i we we live in two totally different worlds yes literally and we we've we've come of age in different eras right and we've yes. been in different churches right yes but nonetheless here we are the Meeting experience. in the same the same space due to experience. Experience yeah. experience road, I'm gonna call and it.
0: Y- I like that. And you know, our transformation stories are not uncommon. I, I, you know, like I when I describe growing up in a carceral Christian environment, I I talk about the curriculum as being compulsory. It's a compulsory religious curriculum. But when we are transforming, I call that a self. Curriculum because we've never been allowed to focus on self-awareness, self-discovery, self-determination. You know, we 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 don't focus on self-love because that wouldn't be okay to focus on self-love. <laughs> don't you so, dare.
1: Don't you no, dare. No, no,
0: but the <laughs> but the ability to get to the point where you even feel comfortable doing that because there's so much guilt. And I had somebody say to me one time, you have to feel the guilt. Stand with the guilt, feel it, and do your soul, What in my language, soul work anyway, because the guilt, the guilt lessens over time and you get all of these other wonderful things, but guilt keeps us defaulting to what we know, which is what we're trying to get away from. So yeah, it's a, it's a self project, but you know, in the church that I grew up in, in the church you were in, it's like, that's not good to be focused on yourself.
1: Self project. I, yeah. I, I like that. I like that term. I do. So okay. you've heard some of our program, and yeah. you've you 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 have you've, you've heard the stories of reclamation that people have uh, ha- have told. Now, have these stories? And I guess we already mentioned that, but maybe we could talk about it explicitly. How have these stories blended with the themes that you've noticed mm. with the people mm-hmm. that you spoke about in your project?
0: Well, I can tell you some of the themes um, that came up pretty strongly. So you, you, you mentioned, and I'm glad that you did that I identified as a religious problem of generations. The second piece to that is that it fosters cycles of spiritual poverty for people. Like there are spiritual poverty that we unintentionally hand down if we don't heal them. But some of those problems are like extreme conformism, Um. Black, very black and white thinking, dualistic thinking is another one that I've heard your people talk about. Um, the The xenophobia, the separateness, the group think, the feeling of superior, like we just talked about this, or you mentioned it, this feeling of that we're superior to people who are not with our church. We certainly are superior to non-Christians who who are not legit, either non-Christians or people from other religions that were even superior to other Christians because they're not, they're not in the, the right branch of Christianity. That's a problem. Um, it also for the person, for the individual, it's, it, it makes us really like we're, our mind is docile. Yeah. It makes us passive in terms of how we think. I mean, we're, like I don't know about you but I was taught to be suspect of my own thoughts. Oh yeah. And to even and even think you know <laughs> thoughts that weren't okay was can, a sin.
1: Can can I finish your thought there? Can I finish your yeah, thought? Yeah,
0: absolutely. If
1: you have that thought the the uh the the counter statement to that is oh that's satan.
0: Exactly. Satan. So you are taught to be suspect of your own thinking, your own <laughs> inner guide. You know it's like we have this inner, our conscience, our inner guide, our you know whatever you want to call that. Um, we so we're taught to be distrustful of it, which makes us very passive. And if we're <laughs> passive, we're we're very useful to the church. If you we're know, passive,
1: you know, my my, my wife has this. Uh, I think it's hilarious when she says it. She's like, you know, we always use Satan as the red herring. Yep. The, the red herring and it's Satan like has got you and 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 somewhere right you're doing something and people are like oh that's Satan somewhere Satan. in the background Satan is like
0: that, that wasn't even me yeah exactly <laughs> that's right you know, uh, stop, I, stop
1: blaming me for this
0: <laughs> uh, I still I still hear about Satan I still hear about Satan because Satan has tempted me off the straight and narrow path right mm. I mean I, I became a thinking person I saw a cartoon once that said, there's a pastor at the front of the church and the church is pretty full. And he's like, now all thinking people need to, you know, move to the back of the room. Like we don't want thinking people. Um, But also, you know what? It's also a problem because we don't get to live authentic lives. One, we don't understand what it is to live our own authentic life, but it makes us masters of um, what I used to call a lazy Susan self. You know, the lazy Susans in the middle of the table, the little turntable food things.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I'm
0: talking about? Like I think I do it
1: like a little, you know, you turn just, it. okay. I get it. Like a little serving yeah. tray, turn it. Yeah. And that turns
0: so that other people around the table, I used to call it a lazy Susan, but my, um, but my advisor, my doctoral advisor's name is Susan and she didn't appreciate that. So I call it a turntable self. We become masters of turning whatever face we need to turn to whoever it is that we're talking to. That makes us be acceptable. So if I'm talking to my pastor, I might have one face of so talking to a you know a friend at school i might have one face it's it just we don't it, it just we don't get to be authentic we have to wear masks um because we go we have to wear masks to show that we are you know kind of perfect and and walking the yeah. the line yeah yeah
1: you, you know you um you mentioned that sometimes people get they get punished
0: yeah for, be,
1: for being christians by other christians yeah Hey, can you expound on that a little?
0: Oh my gosh. Punishment is big, so.
1: Next time on The Reclamation.
0: We're punished for stepping outside of the quote, right, boxes, right? It is, it's a powerful behavioral controller. Yeah. Because if we can make other people afraid and be like, I don't want to be that person, kind yeah. of keeps us in check.